You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Greetings, Center Church. Uh, it's an honor to be with you. I'm always happy to see my main man, uh, Pastor Poor, and uh, so many others. And so I'm glad to be here, especially to um, honor uh, the life of our brother in Christ, uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, I always feel like you always have to say all of them together. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be talking about uh, and reflecting on a sermon uh, that he preached called Guidelines for Constructive Church. We're going to be talking about repairing the breach in everyday life. Uh, when I was with you all uh, last time, we talked about the different ways, how uh, justice is the way that we prepare for uh, the coming of Christ and, and fighting against inner and outer tyranny. And uh, we really wanted to give you all an opportunity to delve deep about what does that really mean in everyday life? Justice can be very broad sometimes, um, and especially when we look at the uh, work of racial justice and the need for it uh, almost every day in our society, it can almost feel overwhelming. And so we wanted to really um, really look at the scriptures and uh, the life of Dr. King, and what does it really mean to be repa- repairing the breach in everyday life? Um, one of my favorite sermons by Dr. King is a sermon called Guidelines for a Constructive Church. And he took the illustration that when the United States decided that they were going to uh, desegregate schools, what they did is they told certain districts that weren't previously cooperating that if they wanted certain funding, uh, that they had certain guidelines they had to do, and part of that was that they had to desegregate their schools. And Dr. King said that if we want to see uh, the kingdom of God come and the, and, and the, and the grace uh, of God uh, being released upon our churches so that we can fight the work of justice, that God had certain guidelines for his church in order for us to fully activate and become uh, uh, representatives and ambassadors in this work of justice. Uh, and he also had some other things to say, some spicy takes, I would say. But he says, number one, church is not a social club. And that uh, it's very too often churches get caught up in their exclusivism. He also said that the church is not an entertainment center, though some think that it is, and you can tell the way they run their service. Then he said a very hot take of monkeys are to entertain, not preachers. <laughs> but I love how Pastor Poor said it, how he said, the church is not about content creation, but really about the creation of Christ-centered community, and that the, there's something deeper than just what we do and what we put out in the world, but what do we cultivate among people and the people that God says we are to have community uh, with. And so we're going to be having, reflecting on this sermon and also reflecting on not just, as, as I was with you the last time I spoke about, uh, what we do is just about just as important as who we become as we do the work of justice. And so how do we have good spiritual principles so that we can become like Christ while we also reflect the heart of Jesus towards justice? And so Dr. King, really taking from the prophet of Isaiah and Jesus reading in the temple, this is what he said the guidelines for a constructive church were. He says to preach the gospel to the poor. It is to heal the brokenhearted, or who we call the spiritually exhausted, because as you can understand, anyone who's working justice for a long time, 
you get tired sometimes. Then he talked about preaching deliverance to the captives and that the captives are not just people who suffer under racial injustice, but people who are slaves to luxury, people who are slaves to prejudice, people that are slaves to consumerism and the profit motive and how the work that we do in justice and in repairing the breach every day deals with everyone who was held captive to these. Uh, recovery of sight to the blind, setting at liberty those that are bruised and preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. And he says that these are the guidelines for a constructive church and that there are things that we can do uh, and uh, build into our spiritual habits in order to practice this every day. Uh, It reminds me of Luke chapter 3. Before Jesus comes, John the Baptist comes and he's saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord and, 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 and to make the crooked path straight. And so people from all walks of life come to him. If you, if you look at Luke 3 verse 10, it says, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And when you really look into this, because people say, well, where do I engage in the work of racial justice? Is it just about relationships and between me and and people in my neighborhood? Is it just about the the thoughts that I believe? Is it about structural racism? where, Where do I engage? And the beautiful thing about repentance and the beautiful thing about the guidelines for a constructive church is that whether it be uh, at the micro level, the person-to-person phase and how, what you think and what you, uh, 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 who's discipling you and the, your thought pattern towards race and justice, or whether it be your community and what happens at your school and what happens between uh, your neighbors, or, and then what also happens at those who set policy and, and, and construct those things, that there is a role for us to be repairers of the breach at all of those levels. And it's up to us to build in those spiritual habits so that we're able to do that. So when we look about the scope of repair, uh, you see uh, throughout the life of Jesus that he called uh, 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 Caesar and Pilate and Herod to repentance. Uh, He called the chief priests, soldiers, tax collectors, those from the temple, the neighborhood institutions into repentance and repair. And he also talked to people about how they ought to love their neighbor, how they ought to love the Samaritan, those who we easily cast outside of our community of love and care. And he also talked about the fishermen who were typically poor and the widow who, who were disenfranchised from the systems of not just government, but sometimes even the systems of God. And how there was a scope and a message of repair for all of those levels. And one of the scriptures that will be our main text that I love that really gives us an illustration on how we can live this every day is Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to be reading verse 1, 6 through 10, and verse 12. And some of you all may be familiar of this phrase that talks about the repairers of the breach. This is what the text says. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and what you bring to your house, the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, 
the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations and you shall be called repairer of the breach, restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, that's the part of the scripture that sounds awesome, right? <laughs> the light so dawn in the darkness, it sounds like a speech from Gandalf or something, right? It's like very <laughs> triumphant, right? Uh, but how we really unlock that really depends on the habits that we have uh, uh, within our lives and then also where we practice justice. So when we think about uh, repairing the breach, that's something that happens, uh, that can happen at a person-to-person level. Uh, and when we think about restore of streets to dwell in, that's when it goes outside of your home and into your communities. And then at the macro level, where we raise up the foundations of many generations. And when we think about the legacy of Dr. King and, 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 and the voting rights and the civil rights and uh, uh, desegregation and so many of the things he was able to accomplish, by, by practicing justice at all of those levels, he was not only just able to impact the people in relationship with him and within his community, but also was able to make an impact and a legacy that goes beyond generations. And so one of the first things that we want to uh, talk about uh, is what does it mean to really practice it at that level? So we want to talk about repairing the breach. We're talking about restoring streets to dwell in and raising up the foundations. So first, we're going to talk about repairing the breach. And it's very interesting uh, that things that point out to me, it says, when you see the destitute and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Uh, one of the things that people may not know about the life of Dr. King and also the life of Jesus as well is what always interested me about Jesus when they talk about flipping the tables, and I know people love to use that illustration, it's very interesting to me that Jesus was not the only one that saw injustice being worked, but he is the only one that acted. And when you think about the people who were poor and being left out because the, the, the sacrifice of the turtle doves were those who were the most poor, actually when Jesus' family came um, just to uh, have him uh, dedicated by Simeon, that was the uh, offering that they had, and, and fishermen and widows and the sick, and so many of the people that Jesus centered his life around were impacted by that policy so that Jesus wasn't just flipping over tables for a concept. He was flipping over tables because it affected his community, right? And so there's something about the work of justice, and if we want to repair the breach, uh, is that we cannot hide ourselves from our own flesh, right? We cannot uh, hide behind our Twitter accounts or our ivory towers or our seminaries or our, or our uh, uh, books and apologetics and proclaim justice devoid from where people are actually uh, impacted uh, by justice, right? And so, you know, uh, first we must diversify our life and circles so that we actually live a life where we regularly encounter those God calls us to serve. Many people, uh, you know, pontificate about racial justice when they do not even see those who suffer from it and their lives are hidden behind the luxury and convenience that sometimes injustice had afforded them. But if we are to be a repairer of the breach, we must not hide ourselves from our neighbors, right? And so one of the first things we need to do to repair the breach is that we have to diversify 
uh, the, the people within our relationships, right? There's a very interesting survey that was done in 2014 uh, by the Public Religion Research Institute, and it found that American social networks remain segregated and that 75% of white people in America didn't have any non-white friends and had entirely white social networks. Then when you also talk about not just diversifying the people within your life, right, but also diversifying your perspective, the survey asked participants to name up to seven people with whom they had discussed important matters in the past six months. And on top of the 75% of white Americans reporting that the network of people with whom they discuss important matters is entirely white with no minority presence, the researchers also found that only 15% of white folks reported having a racially diverse social network. Here's the thing. They also found no difference between white Democrats and white Republicans, right? So this isn't about a partisan issue. And so what are they saying? What they're saying is that uh, uh, even if people thought more, I guess, progressive, put that in quotation marks, that that progression did not reflect anything within the people in which they built community. And so it's about diversifying people in your relationships. So a lot of people talk about Dr. King's switch later in his life to talk about the poor people's campaign and, and, and wanting a, um, a, a living wage and so many other things that he had. But a lot of people don't know that while he was writing his last book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos and Community, speaking about how the wickedness of poverty impacts so many people that he decided, despite his Nobel Peace Prizes and TV appearances, to actually live in the projects of Chicago for months and months and months at a time because he wanted to know, he wanted to diversify his perspective. And so repairing the breach um, has a lot to do with not only uh, what we are saying, but also with whom we are building community. One of the, the quotes that I love that also convicts me is Gustavo Gutierrez who was a revolutionary priest in Peru, also known as the, uh, one of the fathers of liberation theology. He says this very simply. He says, you say you love the poor, name them. And he says, there is no authentic evangelization that is not accompanied by action in behalf of the poor. What he is saying is, we're not abstracting injustice and just imagining concepts, but if you're not deeply involved in the life of the people that God tells us we ought to be concerned with, that there is, there, it limits our ability to repair the breach. And so you cannot repair the breach if your life is so ordered that you never see it. And so part of being seen also in community is that repairing the breach isn't just about doing, but it's also about being. And so that in our community, do we allow ourselves, do we have the courage to allow ourselves to be seen, right? Uh, uh, do we uh, or do we always come to the work of justice as someone in an ivory tower, someone who always has the answer, someone who says, I'm going to mentor you and you have no perspective to share with me? Uh, you ain't got the answer, Sway, right? <laughs> or are we humble enough to, within community, follow the pattern of Jesus, follow the pattern of Dr. King so that we can actually repair the breach and that we are building uh, a, a community and not just building a message? And so Jesus knew, cared, and acted on behalf of those who were left out in his community. And his life was so ordered from his social circles and perspective that he was close and available enough to discover and identify the injustice 
in his time. If we are to be restorers of the breach, racial justice must move from a concept to a community. Uh, And when we seek to hide our true selves behind our doings, we are not truly available to do the deep spiritual work of repair. So again, if we are to be restorers of the breach of racial justice, we must move from a concept to a community. Okay, and then when, so then when we think about moving up from uh, being repairs of the breach to restorers of the streets, right? Uh, I love the verse that says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted souls, those from among you shall build the old waste places and you should be called the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is a part that I think it's important for us to, to, to look at because so many times uh, we have a brand of racial justice sometimes that's more about pointing the finger than it is extending our souls, right? And we like to look at who's, who's, who should we fault? Who should we have the hot take towards? Who should we shame into doing what we, what we want to do versus how are we extending our souls and our resources and our gifts and our abilities and our time to actually be a solution, to actually restore the problems that we see? And so we must move from merely pointing to also extending. We must take our energy from merely assigning blame, but to actually allocating help. So we must move from merely assigning blame to also actually allocating help. Restoring streets is greater than who you are critiquing and blaming. It is about who you are helping and building. And when we think about how people show up to the work of justice, right, it's typically high levels of frustration and exhaustion. It might be that you've tried so many times and you keep butting against this wall and, and so you've decided that it's not worth for you to extend your soul anymore. It's hard to trust to extend your soul anymore. I was talking to a sister and we were fighting. Uh, we'd been fighting for two years to, to get a brother clemency from prison and we were in the middle of it and, and we just couldn't see a way out of it and she had been asked to serve jury duty and she said, Alan, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. There's no justice in the system. There's no sense of the size. And then she, she uh, was tempted to take uh, uh, away her opportunity to, uh, to actually extend her soul and her time to actually being part of bringing justice into an unjust system. And so we have to guard our energy. And this is what Jesus, what Dr. King talked about with uh, in the guidelines of a constructive church about healing the brokenhearted and that we not only have to take time to heal the brokenhearted of those who suffer under racial injustice, but we also have to heal our brokenheartedness so that we do not become so cynical that we lose belief in what God can use in our everyday uh, 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 habits if we are willing to extend our soul to the hungry to satisfy the afflicted soul. Because if the truth be told, the afflicted soul isn't merely satisfied by us pointing the finger. The things that we tweet, the things we podcast about, the things that we've got people that people build platforms on in racial justice sometimes, Lord have mercy, that that is not automatically what satisfies the souls that are being afflicted by racial injustice. And if we want to restore the streets, we have to move from pointing to extending. 
Dr. King said it this way. He says, as my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation of frustration, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided decided to follow the latter course. He says, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Right. And so when we have to how do we go from pointing to extending? It's giving some examples. Right. Uh, We can't. Sometimes it's easy to point the finger at at Richmond Public Schools and talk about the issues in our schools and say the school board isn't doing this or, or the superintendent isn't doing this or city council isn't giving the money that needs to be doing for this. But also. And some of that is true, (laughs) y'all. But and beyond pointing, let's move from pointing to extending. Are we mentoring students? Are we showing up in the schools and in the the lives of of the students that we know? Are we advocating on behalf of them? Or are we simply from our ivory tower outside a relationship with them, simply pointing the finger? Right? Let's not just point the finger about fatherlessness, but let's but are we showing young fathers how they can show up and, 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 and combat and break generational cycles? Are we speaking up about mass incarceration and the post-carceral system that keeps fathers out who genuinely want to be there? We can't just point the finger at urban violence and black-on-black crime, but are we, are we there to help them deal with their trauma and provide opportunities to another way of life? We can't just blame people for disparities they live under without changing the policies that keep them at a disadvantage. Because if we want to be called the restorer of the streets, right? We have to move from pointing to extending. Um, Too often we think the most pertinent and urgent question is, what are we saying of others versus what are we doing for others? And 1 John 3, 18 says, let us not live with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Uh, Former President Barack Obama, he always used to say, uh, uh, don't boot, vote. Now, I'm not telling you that the voting box will solve all these other types of things, but what he was getting at is simply expressing your, your dissatisfaction with justice, and though lament is important, that we also have to move in faith against the pressures of cynicism and apathy and past failures and what seems to be an insurmountable, unmovable mountain, but we must in mustard seed faith fight to maintain our, our faith, and we, we exercise that faith by moving from pointing to extending. Now we want to talk about not just repairing the breach and, and not just restoring the streets to dwell in, but also when we talk about raising up the foundation for many generations. And here it, it talks about, uh, is this not the, the, the fast that I've called for, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And this is when we start talking about structural injustice. Because it's not enough just to get one person out. It's not just enough to fix one school. It's not just enough because this, 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 this sin and pervasiveness of racism and partiality has, in fact, has infected and affected so much of our society that there is a greater work that we must do together. And 
it's interesting what this verse connects with undoing and breaking the heavy yoke. It talks about loosing the bonds of wickedness and letting the oppressed go free. Loosing and letting, which is talking about people who have the power to make a decision about it. God did not send Moses to the children of Israel to say, let yourself go. (laughs) He goes to people who are responsible, who are profiting off of unjust labor, who are profiting off of injustice. And he says to them, it is is in your responsibility to let these people go. And so uh, there is no raising up a generation without first loosing bonds and letting go of the systems that allow you to oppress. We talked about the last time about examining areas in which we practice tyranny, right? And that we can pray for undoing and for breaking uh, the yoke and raising up for the next generations. But until we do the spiritual work of seeing what we need to loose, what habits we need to loose, uh, 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 what, uh, um, what bitterness and prejudice we have to let go of, uh, and we must cast off apathy, doubt, and cynicism, and those who profit from racial injustice must loose and let go of greed and unjust profit. So not only is it that we have to break something, but we have to let go of something, and that is deeply connected in the levels of what we do at this level. This is what Dr. King had to say. He said, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers Profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people. The giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. The person who was the optimist that had a dream saw a deep connection between the changing of our habits and the changing of our priorities to the changing of status of of the most vulnerable within our society. He says, if you want to battle racism, if you want to battle materialism, if you want to battle militarism, then you have to change your your, your, your priorities from a thing-oriented society in person to a person-oriented society. He says, these are revolutionary times all over the globe. Men are revolting against old systems of exploitation and oppression. And out of the wounds of a frail world, new systems of justice and equality are being born. We in the West must support these revolutions. And so one of my favorite stories about, about this, because we, we, have to, we have to begin to be honest as we assess our lives, as we, as we assess what our role has been in uh, fighting against uh, racial injustice, is have we truly been present? Have we truly been present? Have we truly been lending our gifts and abilities beyond pointing fingers? Have we been extending our soul? And especially when it comes to structural racism. One of the stories uh, Dr. King tells is the tragedy of Rip Van Winkle. And he says, uh, I'm sure that most of you have read that arresting little story from the pen of Washington Irving entitled Rip Van Winkle. The one thing that we usually remember about the story is that Rip Van Winkle slept 20 years. But there's another point in that little story that is almost completely overlooked. It was the sign in the end from which Rip went up in the mountain for his long sleep. When Rip Van Winkle went up into the mountain, the sign had a picture of King George III of England. When he came down 20 years later, the sign had a picture of George Washington. And looking at the picture, he was amazed. He was completely lost. And this reveals to us that the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that Rip slept 20 years. 
How many of y'all would like to sleep twenty years after 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 uh twenty twenty one? I I might take him up on that, but no, seriously. He said, <laughs> it's not the, the striking thing is not that he merely uh slept twenty years, but that he slept through a revolution. While he was peacefully snoring up in the mountain, a revolution was taking place that at points would change the course of history, and Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. Yes, he slept through a revolution. And one of the great liabilities of life is that all too many people find themselves living amid a great period of social change, and yet they fail to develop the new attitudes, the new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through a revolution. And if we are asleep during the times of turmoil, when if we are asleep during the, uh, uh, to the causes that need our voice, we cannot be repairers of the breach if we are not awake. And so Isaiah 58 one says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? And so we have to be not just awake, but we have to be active. And so I, I love uh, 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 the Hebrew and, and, and the word cry. The cry is the, is the Hebrew word kara, which means to call, proclaim, preach, to call unto, uh, 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 to summon, to invite, call and commission, appoint and endow. And it talks about doing it aloud, aloud means garon, which means neck or throat, right? Uh, uh, and so it's saying that we have to cry aloud. It's not enough that we think these thoughts privately, but we, our voice has to be on the roll, on the record when injustice is there. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is calling the roll. He's calling attendance. And he's saying, when I was in the hospital, were you present? Were, were, were you in attendance? When I was sick, were you in attendance? When I was oppressed, were you in attendance? And that this is the way that Jesus would judge the nations because Jesus wants to know whether or not we were asleep during the revolution. And so it contrast. it says cry aloud as an encouragement, and it says spare not. And the word spare means hasa. It means to keep back. It means to withhold, refrain, hinder, punish. And so this is what's interesting. The hasa spirit versus the kara spirit. The hasa spirit makes you an investigator of the breach or an interrogator of the breach or a disprover of the breach rather than a repairer of the breach. And so the work that we have to do if we want to show up at the, at the point of revolution that, that raises up the foundations is when it comes to the outer work of, of, of racial justice uh, uh, and, and protest and calling for racial justice, when it appears within our personal circle, when it appears within our community, when it comes up on the docket on the agenda uh, for our institutions, uh, do we have a kara spirit that cries aloud or do we have a hasa spirit that spares? and sleeps through the revolution, as Dr. King would say? Do we join in proclaiming with our own voice? Do we, I, I like that it says garon, it talks about neck, and now I don't want to misuse the scripture, but I, sometimes in, 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 in dealing with structural racism, sometimes you got to stick your neck out. You got to take the risk. And then I love how Cry talks about to invite, call, commission, and appoint. Do we invite others to the movement? Do we bless those who are involved in the movement or do we point our fingers at them? Do we say that they're doing too much? Do we say that they're too woke, right? Do we commission others to do the work 
Or do we keep back? Do we withhold our voice? Do we refrain from engaging and associating with those who are, who are, who are involved in the work of racial justice? And in the end, do we ultimately hinder their cause? Right? And so when we, when we talk about being a repairer of the breach, uh, there are some things that we are repairing the breach and raising up the foundations has a lot to do with us having to loose habits and let go of systems and stop defending systems that consistently lead our neighbors into chains. And it's, we have to develop a kara spirit. One of the things, um, when, I, when I lived at home, uh, my mom used to love this show called Ayanla, Fix My Life. And it was this, uh, this, this counselor, and she would go into different situations and different uh, uh, family dynamics, and some people would be a hot mess. But whenever somebody started disrespecting another member of the family, Ayanla would slap the table, and she would say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And it was kind of like her tagline. She probably got a T-shirt that said, not on my watch. But what I loved about that is she would say, because if you disrespect her, if you disrespect this person, you're going to disrespect me. And just as Dr. King says, we are all tied together in a mutual garment of destiny where, the, where, where if there's a threat to justice anywhere, there's a threat to justice everywhere. And having a karah spirit is saying, not on my watch. Because so many times, the Hassan spirit says, it's not my neighbor, it's not my responsibility, it's not my problem. Well, if only they had complied, if only these things had happened, and, and it refrains and shrinks back. But this is about crying aloud and sparing not so that we can raise up the generations uh, and the foundations of many generations. And so uh, if we are to be a constructive church, we cannot hide ourselves from our neighbors if we are to be repairers of the breach. We must move from pointing the finger and speaking wickedness to extending our soul so that those who are afflicted by racial injustice can actually be satisfied with the fruit of righteousness, right? And, and, and so that we can be restorer of streets to dwell in. And that if we want to raise up the foundations of many generations, such as uh, 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 I think of Frederick Douglass, I think of Thurgood Marshall, uh, uh, I, I think of Harriet Tubman, I think of so many uh, uh, great freedom fighters, Fannie Lou Hamer, who are willing to stick their neck out, who are willing to cry aloud, who had a kara spirit instead of a hasa spirit, that we have to loose the bonds of wickedness. We have to loose the habits within our lives that sustain systems and defend systems and come to the defense of systems that frequently put our neighbors in chains if we're going to raise up the foundations of many generations. And so as we talk about the guidelines for this constructive church, we have to invite God into our lives where we have become brokenhearted because of the injustice. And so it is a great time to rededicate our lives and allow Jesus to heal the areas of cynicism. Heal the areas of apathy. Heal the areas of fear, which is a spirit God did not give us, that causes us to shrink back in those moments and pray for our kara spirit so that we can become a constructive church against racial injustice and so that we can become repairers of the breach. And Dr. King talks about when we do these things, then we help to bring upon as on, on, in, on, in our VA as it is in heaven, as you all say, but also the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And this is the ultimate reason why we engage in racial justice, because we understand that God is a just judge that hates uh, 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 unbalanced scales and that he delights, uh, he, he delights in justice uh, being done. He delights in the least of these uh, uh, being served and that really the acceptable year of the Lord calls us to be repairers of the breach. And so I pray now, um, Lord, we pray that not just when it's MLK Day weekend, but that all throughout our lives, within the habits of our lives, Lord, help us to know, Lord, when we have hidden ourselves and, just, and, and, and not been in community with those who are suffering, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to, to move from pointing blame and, and, and harsh words to loving actions and, and having the courage to extend our soul when cynicism and apathy and, 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 and discouragement would tell us that our work does not matter. Help us, Lord, to stick our neck out and, 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 and to cry aloud and to have a karas spirit and to rebuke the hasas spirit that would make excuses because we don't want to be someone who sleeps through the revolution of your kingdom, Father. We want to be present uh, with you as we fight for racial justice, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you will be with us so that we may be the constructive church uh, that you have uh, died for. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.